Yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we're here once again, another Thursday. I'm actually excited for this weekend. At times, it feels like preparation. You just fill in like blanks of games that you watch and notes that you take and tweets that you read. For me, this one kind of flew by. I feel really good about the show. Famous last words. Are we just not going to talk about how we've got a brand new intro and it looks amazing? And now we have a editor uh, for some of our videos on the back end and big things are coming. Like we're just not going to talk about that. It's just like straight to like this okay. shitty little intro. No, there's okay. <laughs> Thank you for complimenting my shitty little intro. Yes, we got a facelift from Luke Lovett, new animations guru over on Underdog. You're going to see everything look a little prettier than before. Oh, we yeah. have told him that. Basically, everything that we have used in the last six months was the first thing that we were given that was good enough to put on the internet. So now it's going to be a bit more refined, a bit more tasteful, a bit prettier. I'm not sure when we get the makeovers, Hayden, but at least the stream will get a makeover as well. They basically handed us a really nice camera, which was amazing. I think that sets us apart. And they're like, here's the stream stream yard and go after it. And we've maxed that out. And I think over the next couple months... We might be able to turn this thing up like two, three All right. fold. I'm with you. I'm with you. But today, everyone, it is the game by game preview show. We're going to go through the one o'clock, four o'clock, and yes, primetime games as well. Before we get there, everyone, reminder, this is the start of NFL Pick'em for your weekend. Deposit anything and we match it. $10, $20, $50, whatever it is. What you put in, we take out of Hayden's pocket and give back to you. And you can you know, 6X your money, 10X your money, 20X your money. All you have to do is hit five correctly to 20X at 10 bucks, turn it into 200, and boom, have a good time. Overs or unders. It's basically like, you know, player prop lines that you turn into parlays. Easy enough, right? It's a fun game. Rivals, check out the rival section as well. Okay, here we go. Go and check out the fancy football brew blueprint for all of these good things and hayden we have more goodness on the stream because here we go with the one o'clock slate we Look start off with the indianapolis colts against the buffalo bills seven point favorites the bills are at home they are six and three we know the colts are five and five so often hayden we hear the phrase if you live in this bubble that we exist in defense doesn't matter this is a huge test for it because the Bills defense, as you've heard me talk about every single week, is the one that we should care about the most. You're obviously playing Jonathan Taylor. You're obviously playing Michael Pittman. But just how effective can the Colts offense be, Hayden, against a Bills defense that has been outstanding this season? Yep, still first in passing EPA on defense, first in rushing EPA on defense. They are... Uh, hitting for the cycle with first against fantasy quarterbacks, fantasy running backs, and fantasy wide receivers. Vegas knows this too. The Colts are projected for the 20th most points of the week. One note I do have as I looked ahead, now that we're getting into November and December, I looked at the Buffalo weather. We're looking at low 40s with high chances of rain on top of that. I think it's going to be a very sloppy game. It's going to be Jonathan Taylor. Go out there and just try to take things home by yourself. Uh, he's obviously a must play. And then uh, Michael Pittman, I think just because his fantasy usage is so high, deserves some love. He's wide receiver 22 in usage over the last four weeks. He probably has to be in the lineup. 
But if this duds out, I think there's a lot of reasons why that would be the case this week. Yeah. So I posted this on Twitter, just me and my belief in what the bills are as a defense. And look, again, I'm not saying to even like diminish the possibilities of the ceilings for Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, because we know that Pittman that right now is just such an elite runner. And Michael Pittman is maybe the best third down wide receiver in the NFL at the moment. But there are a few things that stand out to me. Like the Bills have allowed just six passing touchdowns a season, the fewest in the NFL by five during this weekend. The Bills have allowed fewer than 24 points in eight of nine games this season. The Bills have a plus 145 point differential. The next closest at 97 points. I mean, check all of these boxes. And yes, I understand they've played, you know, the Miami Dolphins, the, the Houston Texans, the Washington football team. Well, they faced the Kansas City Chiefs offense when the Chiefs offense was number one that week heading into it. And they faced the Tennessee Titans the next week while they lost. Yes, they gave up 34 points. That was a test. And the rest of the way, Hayden, when you consider the Bills defense, yes, they get the Colts. They get the Patriots twice and they get the Bucks. But the rest are not offenses that we're scared of. So I guess for me, like the entire package of it, we're going to get to the Bills offense, which is like, the name brand star of this, but this is why I keep nominating them with the bucks as like one of the top two teams in the NFL. Yeah. The the one thing is just, it's been the easiest strength of schedule. And I wrote up the top 10 contenders for the super bowl on underblog, And I had the bills really high up there, but that was one of the things I learned when I was going through this is just how easy their schedule has been, but they're just so well coached. Like when you have uh, Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, they've invested. I mean, how many draft picks are the last couple of years at linebacker defensive tackle and on the edge. So it makes sense when you have Tredavious white, you have veterans at safety and all these draft picks. Why the defense is so good. I think that the offense for the bills is where it gets really interesting for fantasy purposes, because we're watching two different skill groups we have the running backs where matt Breida came in he played and he mixed things up for devin singletary and zach moss i think that you basically can't play any of them i'm still always on the board if i had to choose one zach moss hope that he gets the goal line work which he's still been getting but with Breida playing a little bit of the passing downs and devin singletary even before that concussion that zach moss had a couple weeks ago he was mixing in so this is a messy backfield. Do you have any opinion on if you should be starting these guys flex plays or just kind of forget about it? No, I, I just want to avoid it because that's the strength of this Colts defense. They're really good at forcing turnovers there too. We've seen Darius Leonard have the peanut punch multiple times where they are least effective is against the pass. I mean, they're 23rd in pass DVOA. Guess what? Who wants to abandon the pass or the run as soon as possible? The Buffalo Bills spread you out, get it going in the spread, allowing, you know, Josh Allen to be one-on-one matchups and win that versus a linebacker or versus a, a free blitzer and then allow him to tack downfield. To me, that's where this game is going to be one loss. I mean, I'm, I'm already picturing in my head, Hayden, like Bills get the ball first, go up seven, nothing, get a stop because their defense is good enough. Get the ball again, go up 10, 14, nothing. And then the Colts are kind of in, in chase mode here. Now, if I can contradict a little bit what I just said, we've talked about the offensive line woes for the Bills in terms of injuries and how that's impacted them. Spencer Brown, just their starting right tackle, was just put in the COVID list, which can change some things up. That's to me one of the biggest differences between 2019 or 2020 and 2021 Bills' offensive success. But what we saw also last week, and we talked about so much on Sunday and Tuesday, was the explosiveness of this offense. Like they they really wanted to go vertically and and test. 
their opposition. And I would expect them to try to do that again against Indianapolis, which is almost a vanilla defense in the back half for sure. 100% vanilla. And they're missing some key players. They've had uh, there's some of their safeties and it's too high shell. They're not uh, active. Xavier Rhodes has been really bad this year. He's been playing through injuries. He was limited early on, but I do think that this type of defense is the type of defense that has been kind of slowing down the bills. Just looking at Josh Allen, he's averaging 7.7 yards per attempt against two high coverages that goes up to 8.9 against single high. He's not going to get any of that. So I think just like from a matchup perspective, this is probably going to be a tougher game for Emmanuel Sanders, who has an 18.4 a dot to kind of get going. If I were to pick one, it's obviously Steph Diggs always. And I think if we can get Cole Beasley with a full practice on Friday, I really like his matchup underneath. Historically, that's where you beat cover two uh, offenses. But last week, he played about nine snaps. Uh, We had Sean McDermott say that was because of the rib injury. This week, he goes DNP on Wednesday. He's limited today on Thursday. We'll see on Friday. If he doesn't get a full practice, he's probably in a void unless you're playing like DFS tournaments. But I think this is a good matchup for Steph Diggs to catch eight, nine, ten passes and get going with a lot of like eight to 12 play drives than rather than like one play over the top. Yeah, absolutely. Love that a lot. And do you want to throw out a couple more notes? I believe Starler Tule was put on the COVID list just before last week's game, obviously as the nose tackle, as the one technique, such a pivotal role to play in shutting down Jonathan Taylor this week. And both of their linebackers and Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano have both been banged up. So if there's a path to victory for the Colts and the Trebuchet and John Taylor and Michael Pittman, then that, and that is it. This is going to be a really fun game in the one o'clock window for yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll have to check in on the, the conditions on the Sunday show. Yes. By the way, Broncos and Rams are on a bye. Forgot to mention that. And as always, we mentioned the YouTube stream. If you're checking us out on the podcast feed, love you for it. YouTube stream is where it's at, though, especially in the chat live. Shirley, Ming Han, Tony, Alvaro, all of you are helping each other with their start set questions as well as we go along. All right. Another really fun game here. The six and three Baltimore Ravens, Hayden, six point favorites on the road against Chicago Bears. Yeah, they're just three and six, 45 and a half total. But dare I say, coming out of their bye week, there should be, despite losing four in a row, some positivity around Justin Fields and, and this Bears offense. I mean, he flat out balled out against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Meanwhile, the last time that we saw Lamar Jackson, Hayden, he was facing cover zero. 40 times against the Miami Dolphins. It was absurd. That sounds like hyperbole, exaggeration. Josh Cohen, who does great work on Twitter. It's not. He literally posted every single screenshot pre-snap. Cover zero. 40 times. One more final thought here. Intended air yards per attempt. A dot, whatever you want to call it. These are the top two throwers in the NFL. Yes, we know they're dangerous runners, but I hope we get an air show from Lamar Jackson and from Justin Fields. Yeah, it's going to be bombs away, and both defenses kind of play differently. We have more of a cover two type defense, too high for the Bears. Um, and then on the other side, very aggressive with the Ravens. The Ravens defense has not been very good, actually. And if you look just at passing EPA, they're 20th, they're 21st, and just at sack rate, they're super banged up. They have been the entire year. And I think the big storyline is post by rookie bump Justin Fields, which version do we get? Do we get the version? where in from weeks one through seven, he was dead last in EPA per play. He was 35th in completion percentage over expected. Or do we get the, the post by rookie bump where he was in weeks eight and nine, where he was eighth in EPA, 
EPA per play and fourth in completion percentage over expected. So um, I think that Justin Fields probably going to come out and look closer to how he was playing right before. And I think that just getting Bill laser calling plays, getting his more confidence, throwing the ball, the protect, the protection seem better. I think we're going to see the best that we've seen from Justin Fields down the stretch here. I mean, this was so good. So good against the Pittsburgh series. A couple things that you hit on that I want to continue the conversation. Historically, both of these teams, Chicago and Baltimore, are very much defensive teams, uh, especially in the last five years. Neither should be considered that here in 2021. Like the Ravens defense is giving up big plays down the field and they're missing tackles that also lead to big plays. We've seen it multiple times this season. And what you're alluding to with, with the Bears defense is that this is a Vic Fangio-esque, which was Brandon Staley. I mean, because Sean Desai came from that tree, right? And so it's very much, hey, we're going to prevent big plays. Um, That's not, you know, the cover zero blitz happy stuff that Lamar Jackson faced last week that gave him so much trouble. Obviously, they've been working on that for a little bit over a week now as well. But just, you know, 238 yards and 43 attempts from Lamar Jackson. We've seen over 400 yards from his, him as well. If, if I, you know, a lot of people are going to focus on the defensive aspect. Hey, I think part of it was the Ravens basically played a hundred snaps against the Vikings and then had to play four days later. Yep. That that's just a recipe for failure. And it just was in a spotlight game. And I don't want to overreact to that at all. Yeah. We're going to be monitoring Marquise Brown. He hasn't practiced this week. Lamar Jackson's uh, ill again. Uh, but we know this is a officially a, pass first offense yep they're eighth and neutral pass rate over the last month they've been in the top five at times uh the last note i have is uh they released Le'Veon bell he cleared waivers because latavius murray's probably going to come back so if you are in a league super deep league and you need latavius murray i guess you can go for it but at least it's going to be a two backfield uh with devonta freeman and latavius murray this is how i'd rank them on both sides i'd rank darnell mooney over Allen robinson which I think people are still slow on that get up, but I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp now and I'm ranking Devonte Freeman over Latavius Murray in terms of backfields. If you want to go there at running backs. Now I think Marquise Brown can get home. I think we saw Rashad Bateman, you know, after what, like the 18 snaps that Sammy Watkins played Rashad was really pivotal in the final two drives for the Ravens as well. And obviously Mark Andrews can have a really good day too. Yeah. The, the secondary for the bears, it's Jalen Johnson and then a whole lot of, Kind of whatever. So uh, I think that Rashad Bateman, hopefully that he can play in the slot a little bit more. They can get Devin Duvernay Duvernay out of there and let Rashad Bateman be an inside outside player because that's what he's capable of doing. And I think down the stretch, you're going to see some some spiked weeks from Rashad Bateman if you're looking for a flex option. Go to the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, eight and two Packers. I believe this has dropped Hayden down to a one and a half point favorites on the road. That's it. It was two and a half moved in the last 24 hours. Despite the Vikings, you know, just being four and five. In fact, Hayden, part of the reason why this spread is so close is because the Vikings are the kings of close games. Each of the five Vikings losses this season have been by seven points or fewer. Most one possession losses in the NFL this season. We talked about in the Sunday night show. Other people have picked it up as well. Justin Jefferson was unbelievable. Unbelievable in week 10. The Packers defense, while it really struggled in the first half of the year, I would actually say in the last two weeks, three weeks, it's looked a lot more cohesive. Now they keep dropping a player here or there every single week as well. Um, 49 total looks a little enticing to me because, again, both 
teams have a lot of firepower that can make big plays down the field. Yeah, and we're getting questions about, is the Packers defense legit? I think it will be legit, and they've been playing well recently against some really strong defenses, but they're still missing Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander. Yep. And I think that where the, they're weakest at, because like going back to this, a lot of too high shells, in fact, uh, they're on a too high shell on 68% of the plays. That's the third highest per sports info solutions. They're at, in a light box at the fourth highest rate in the league. And that's kind of led them to being 27th in rushing EPA. So this on paper looks like a Dalvin Cook game. Uh, Lord Reeves had a great stat talking about Dalvin Cook, how he's been stopped at like the one yard line, like five different times. And instead of giving them a ball again, they decided to throw the ball, which is yep. cool for Adam Thielen and Tyler Conklin and Justin Jefferson. But Dalvin Cook is a positive regression candidate like you cannot believe. And this is like the perfect matchup for Dalvin Cook to regain. But like we talked about before, going back to the Roto World blurbs, you love riding up the Vikings games because it's literally just five guys. You got Kirk Cousins. You're probably playing him <laughs> in two quarterback leagues. Tyler Conklin, if you're looking for a streamer, Thielen and Jefferson in your, in your lineups. Dalvin Cook is at, in the top five every single week. It's as simple as that, really. We'll say this about the Vikings. This is from Klebsia. They've been smashed by good teams this season. They are 0-3 and have allowed 464 total yards per game on average versus teams that have at least six wins so far this season. So they've been really good against average, below average teams, but against the great ones that can maximize probably the deficiencies that they have on their roster. You know, I would say offensive lines that don't get confused by Mike Zimmer's you know, yep. tricky blitzes and things of that sort, then they do a really, really good job. And obviously the Packers are still without David Bakhtiari. It feels like we've had that conversation now for four weeks in a row, but Aaron Rodgers, that front five unit, I think is good enough. Now I've buried the lead enough here. We are going to get AJ Dillon 20 touches this week. Your expectations for 20 touch AJ Dillon is what? I mean, he's locked into the top six running backs this week. I mean, yeah, he he can go absolutely nuts. I'm, I don't even think it's worth talking about him that much because I think if you have him, you're starting him. It's as simple yeah. as that. Uh, the one concern I possibly have is Aaron Rodgers looked okay last week, and he's still not practicing because of this weird toe injury. So I don't know what what's up with that. Um, but right now, the Packers are projected for the ninth most points of the week. I think that's kind of where Aaron Rodgers lives and I think that this is going to be a big week for Devontae Adams. I think when you remove some of those uh, manufactured touches in the passing game to Aaron Jones, I don't think that A.J. Dillon is going to get as many of those. You can see more tunnel screens, bubble screens, um, some of the RPO looks that Devontae Adams gets a lot. And when you're missing Daniil Hunter, uh, Michael Pierce, their defensive tackle, they've had uh, um, some secondary uh, injuries, including Patrick Peterson. I think this could be a massive game for Devontae Adams, but that didn't really tell you a whole lot because he's Devontae Adams, and you probably assume that's going to be that. But he's also crushed the Vikings in the past. I mean, he has at least 100 receiving yards or a touchdown in each of his last eight games against Minnesota. We talked about the usage show too quickly. The difference in red zone touchdown rate between the Packers last season versus this season. Last season, they were first. This year, they're 25th. I'm not expecting, you know, top five, top 10, but somewhere in the middle will get us, you know, maybe another touchdown per game. Another yep. touchdown every other game. And and that's that's pretty significant. Um, it's going to be a fun one, too. All right, here we go. More drama, more storylines. How many can you get in this game? The three and six Washington football team go to the Carolina Panthers, who are three and a half point favorites, five and five, directly 
in the NFC playoff hunt, a total of 43. Yes, Cam Newton, Ron Rivera, a Washington defense last week, Hayden, that hit Tom Brady and forced him to play quickly. And they, Washington, just like we all predicted, were able to control the ball offensively, grinding out a 10-minute drive to end that game. So let's talk about this Panthers offense first because it's a Washington defense that played really well last week. No Montez Sweat, no Chase Young. What's your read on Cam Newton as the starter? Because last week was really just in short yarded situations that we saw him and the trickle down and what that means for other pieces along the way. It was a great game plan by the football team last week. I don't think it's going to be that sustainable. If you just look at the entire year, they're 30th in passing EPA, dead last against fantasy quarterbacks, dead last against wide receivers. I don't think that's going to be very sustainable, especially without their two best edge rushers. So I think that Cam Newton's in a good spot. I think that he's probably as healthy as he's been in a long time. This guaranteed is the best skill group he's played in possibly yes. ever, yes. which is kind of crazy. But the problem is, and this is where the, the Achilles Hill of this team's going to be, is this offensive line is just so bad. And right now, uh, Cameron Irving's out, Matt Paradis is out, John Miller's out, Deontay Brown, like all the depth pieces in addition to starters are all out. So this is going to be Cam Newton running for his life and having to truck people. I just think he's going to be able to do it. I think that they've given this team a little bit of a spark. And I think that it's going to be a very run-heavy game plan and just going to be Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey trading rushes up the middle. And I think that it can be kind of effective against a Washington unit that over the entire season has been pretty bad. Right. And the one week was just probably an outlier, not like a trend down the stretch here. Yeah, I mean, they they allowed 20-plus points in each of their first seven games. Obviously, the last two weeks, it's fewer than 20 points. Um, it's it's such a departure. And it's, it's weird to reset a team in an offense in week 11, but I think we have to do it with the Panthers here, Hayden, because they've got fewer than 200 passing yards in six straight games the Panthers have. That's so unbelievably difficult to do in 2021. If you're ahead or if you're behind, they couldn't throw the football at all. And I'm with you. And I've said this a hundred times, but Cam Newton's MVP season was throwing to Jericho Cotri, Ted Ginn, Philly Brown, and a rookie year, Devin Funches. Yes, Greg Olson was in there as well. But those wide receiver groups, holy cow. Now, Cam is a totally different quarterback than he was back then in terms of attacking vertically, dimes down the field. But what we have seen with Joe Brady is that there's a lot of short routes that are open. Those angle routes with Christian McCaffrey are still crushing every single time. Put Isaiah Simmons in a blender multiple times last week. Yep. Intermediate routes to Tommy Trimble, to Robbie Anderson that he got involved there a little bit last week, to DJ Moore, hopefully. A much better ceiling than what we had gotten the last, again, six weeks is there for this team. But I don't know if it needs to be a top 15 offense in the league because Hayden, it could also be a top seven, top five defense. You get there with field position and you convert, you know, those turnovers into touchdowns. And I think that's the path to victory for the Panthers. Yep. Vegas has the Panthers projected for the 17th most points of the week. That seems fair. I think that's kind of where the Cam Newton conversation starts is like quarterback 12 to quarterback 17 in Superflex. You're starting them. If you're really bad in the spot or have a quarterback on bye, I think you can start him. I think they're going to really just let him go and get cooking in the red zone as usual. So yeah. um, right there with you. I think this is going to be an improved offense 
Uh, one, because Cam's better than an injured Sam Darnold, but two, just like, I mean, you can see it like in the Robbie Anderson's eyes, post game and stuff. Like he's seeing like he's, he's seeing the light the energy. They all talked about the energy. Yeah, they all did. And they are not going to be afraid of using Cam Newton as a short yardage weapon. That was super clear last week. One final note. And one reason why the difference has been so vast for Washington over the last two weeks is they were by far and away the worst team on third down defense in the NFL through the first seven games. I mean, they were pretty good on first and second down. They're giving up third nine, third and eights all over the place. And last two weeks, they've been very average or slightly above average. So that, that's been critical for them. Let's talk about Washington's offense, too, because really, Hayden, if, if we're talking about their strength last week, so much of it was ball control with Antonio Gibson and him reeling off a couple 10-yard runs, but also just being able to create first downs off of those. Um, the Panthers have been run over in games where offenses shine. 245 yards on the ground they've given to Dallas, 198 rushing yards to the Minnesota Vikings, 151 yards to the New England Patriots. So I guess my question is, do you think the same style that worked last week for Washington can work this week against the Panthers? If they can get some turnovers, then sure. If they play with a lead, they can try to win like that. I just think it's going to be very hard to do against a Panthers defense. They rank top six in the following categories. Passing EPA rushing EPA, adjusted sack rate, fantasy quarterbacks against fantasy running backs and against fantasy wide receivers. We're talking about a bills like defense that's young, but it's well coached and they can win uh, with pressure on the back end. And they're kind of a unique type of defense too, which is I think giving some offenses a little bit of trouble. I don't think that there's that much to kind of glean from last week. That seemed like one of those just like, Hey, this is the NFL. There's outliers to Taylor Heineke can make some plays. You can get some turnovers. You can kind of get lucky that Vita Vea leaves and it can just kind of melt out the clock. So I think it's, you know who you're playing. Um, right. The fact that Antonio Gibson was able to get that many touches and Jarrett Patterson only played five snaps is good news. If you need an RB2, you can go for it. But at the same time, he's always been game script dependent, even when he was at full health and it can always be setback problems. So he's very boom bust. Um, I think, and that would be the case like for the entire rest of the year. Panthers oddly deep at cornerback as well. Um, very few teams across the league can say that. Just quickly want to shout out brutal hit on this play, crucial play on third and five for Terry McLaurin to help ice that game. But uh, Terry McLaurin's on pace for his career high in receiving yards. Uh, kind of under the radar how good Terry McLaurin has been this year. Uh, hopefully, he's on the Allen Robinson career path either. Uh, and obviously, Antonio Gibson hasn't healed from his injury but Hayden he is fifth in the NFL in attempts inside the five yard line this year so so unpredictable when we know that well when we can guess when Washington's going to be inside the five yard line but at least we know that you know Scott Turner from a pace perspective from a play calling style perspective is someone we like and so that's yep. that's worth monitoring as well all right next up five and four New Orleans Saints Four and six Philadelphia Eagles, total of 43 and a half with the Eagles at home, one and a half point favorites. Big news in this game. We all know last week, Nick Underhill, great beat writer for the New Orleans dot football site. I don't think I have audio on this, Hayden. Hey, what's up, everyone? Can you I'm hear Nick that? Underhill for New Orleans dot football, and you're watching the dot presented by Matt Bowers Auto Group. Major news today is no Alvin Kamara out at practice during the open portion for media during the second practice of the week as the Saints prepare to play the Philadelphia Eagles on the road this week. Major situation for the team. 
not good for Kamara to not be out there after being limited in Wednesday's practice. Everything I've heard is that he is in a day-to-day basis with this injury. And obviously it's going to be a day-to-day thing as we see now, as he's in one practice out another. So if he's unable to play, it would set up another situation for Mark Ingram to take the lead. And he did play well against the Titans last week, but that would put a major onus on him to go into Philadelphia and carry the load for the second week in a row. But that's hardly the only situation this team's. All right, we'll cut it off there. That's important. Yes. So it seems like Alvin Kamara is probably on the wrong side of questionable. Again, if you have Mark Ingram, he was an RB1 last week, had 19.7 expected half PPR points. Um, he goes on to say, and this is kind of a, a very key part as well, is left tackle Teron Armstead, elbow injury. He didn't practice this week. Ryan Ramchek, the right tackle, he hasn't been practicing. And then even possibly a bigger storyline when it comes to the Saints is Taysom Hill hasn't practiced with a foot injury. So if Taysom Hill's not out there, like it's just going to be Mark Ingram and more Mark Ingram and more Mark Ingram. I yep. This is going to be a game that's going to be won in the trenches and both sides of the ball are kind of banged up. I really wanted to have the Saints be my underdog of the week because of Sean Payton, but I just couldn't get there. There's just too many injuries and the Saints offense is just going to be so unreliable outside of Mark Ingram. We can keep on the theme of under though. I like the under in this game because the strength of the Eagles offense fits the strength of the Saints offense or of Saints defense. And then the Saints offense just has no one creating explosive plays if their offensive linemen, their two best ones, are out, that's where the strength of the Philadelphia Eagles defense is as well. Um, and if both teams are going to run the ball a lot, the clock's going to be moving. So while 43 and a half isn't a high total, the figure to me points me to the under as well. Um, I do want to talk about the Eagles offense, though, if you don't mind, because what a change we have seen. I mean, 175 rushing yards in three straight games, Hayden, with no single player going over 100 yards in that period of time. As I alluded to, the Saints have allowed just 73 rushing yards per game this season, the fewest in the NFL. So, Miles Sanders, like his window to return is now open. We've seen Jordan Howard and Boston Scott, and most notably Jalen Hurts, again, a team that is running the ball almost more than anyone else around the NFL. Does anyone pique your interest other than the quarterback? Not really. I want to say Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard as well, but this the Eagles' neutral pass rates are just completely in the tank, dead last over the last four weeks, and Devonta Smith is going to have to be dealing with Marshawn Lattimore. So I'm with you. I think this is going to be a very pretty boring game. I think that the Saints are going to hang around because they're so well-coached, and their defense is really fast. If you watch like Demario Davis, some of these other uh, secondary options, they can kind of collapse and give Jalen Hurts some hell when you talk about scrambling. Um, so, and I, I just think that Sean Payton's going to have the answers to the Jalen Hurts test. So I think that you're right. This is probably going to be a very low scoring game. And we probably just get out of there and you probably are going to be in good shape if you don't have fantasy options just in general. Yeah. Again, Cleve TA pointed this out since the Eagles have flipped to run heavy, they have faced the 32nd, 25th and 23rd ranked run defense. And so it'll be a very different task going against the number one rushing defense, but it's been really cool to see a team understand who they are and their strengths. I am nervous, like you're saying about Devontae Smith, because it hasn't been like a volume increase from him over the last few weeks, despite him being so good from start to finish. We've been all over that this year, just hyper-efficiency. And almost certainly he's going to match up, you know, one-on-one with Marshawn Lattimore. And that's going to be a very, very tough ask for him on what, six, seven targets probably in this game. So 
I'd start to look at other options in my flex or as my wide receiver three if he's on my roster, despite me loving, absolutely loving what Devontae Smith is putting out there on tape. Yep, Devonta Smith, wide receiver 39 in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. Let's keep rumbling in the one o'clock window, Hayden. Let's jump through to San Francisco 49ers, Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, beautiful game. Six-point favorite San Francisco is in the road off their huge win against the Los Angeles Rams. Lots riding on the finger of Eli Mitchell. The latest, Hayden, is that he was in a non-contact jersey on Thursday, Practicing off to the side. I highly doubt we get any information out of Kyle Shanahan. So I ask you this Thursday at 6.03 Eastern. What's your read? I would guess he doesn't play. And if he does play, there's a little more injury risk. Of course, I'll just be following the news on Sunday. If he's out, I feel pretty confident it's going to be Jeff Wilson, not Trey Sermon. And you can believe that because, you know, I want to be saying it's going to be Trey Sermon. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Jamichael Hasty also not practicing. So this could be a situation where Kyle Juszczyk plays running back on third downs. I don't think that Trey Sermon or Jeff Wilson kind of fit that mold. They haven't been used that way. And I think they're just going to try to actually win this game through the air a little bit. If you look at just where the Jaguars are worse, I mean, they're worse everywhere, but they're really bad um, in passing EPA. They're 28th and teams are choosing to pass the ball when they play the Jaguars in neutral game scripts. And while it's not super impressive, it's not on the backs of Jimmy G, this passing offense has been getting going the last couple of weeks, especially with all three of their big playmakers at full health. So I think that Jimmy G right now with the 49ers projected for the 10th most points, Trey Lance hasn't taken a snap since week five. I think that Jimmy G is a quarterback too. And I think that you can be starting Brandon Ayuk in the flex, if you have him, you're obviously starting Kittle and you're obviously starting Debo. And I wouldn't be that surprised if this is a little bit more pass heavy, at least in neutral situations, than we're kind of used to here. The Jaguars have allowed 13 different wide receivers at at least 50 receiving yards this season. So wow. obviously you're starting the two names in Kittle and Debo, but then Ayuk is kind of in that conversation with Justin Jefferson as we keep talking about. Again, what stood out to me against the Rams as everything was so condensed over the middle of the field. And while some quarterbacks like let's say Jalen hurts, for example, hate throwing over the middle of the field, that's where Jimmy wants to throw. He doesn't want to throw outside the numbers or downfield yep. at all. So, you know, a play caller understanding that getting it open and obviously against a Jacksonville secondary that has in defense that has been brutal against the past. That's a, uh, that's definitely something to monitor. Yeah. I mean, top right is where you want to be in that chart, Hayden and Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers are dead to center. Right in I mean, somehow Jimmy G's first in EPA since week seven. Like that is absolutely nuts. Credit to Kyle Shanahan. He's been so frustrating, but this team, it seems like they're clicking kind of at the right time. And there is a path to them to kind of sneak into the playoffs as crazy as the first half of the season is. But when, when you have all three of those, those playmakers available, I think that this, there's a higher, much higher ceiling than we've kind of been used to with this 49ers team. Let's talk about Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars offense real quick. Uh, we saw James Robinson get in there for about 12 or 15 touches last week, but it's been two disgusting performances for Jaguars in three weeks. Obviously sandwiched in between there is a win against the Buffalo Bills, so that eases it a little bit. But last week they were you know, down 17 to nothing, and then somehow Jamal Agnew gets an untouched rushing touchdown that gets them back into the game. I mean, it wasn't Agnew. by what the scoreboard says. Um, they're basically a four-wide team with Dan Arnold operating as a slot wide receiver. I think that like just consuming a bunch of football content 
I mean, you and I have been on the Mac Jones train all off season and season, and that he has, from a public's perspective, eclipsed everyone among rookie quarterbacks. I am oddly still confident in the long-term success of what Trevor Lawrence is going to do as an individual talent. I can't speak to it as like a team perspective because who knows what's going to happen there. But to me, like so often he has to move off a spot or get slaughtered in the pocket. And then there's no one, no one creating separation out there that he's just destined to fail right now. And maybe it's just a feeling thing, but every once in a while, Hayden, I see, you know, one throw every two series. That's like, Oh damn, rookie quarterbacks don't make that. And it's just in a abysmal, abysmal situation that he's found himself in as a rookie. Yeah, it's terrible. The offensive line is really bad. And the problem is, like, we like Marvin Jones, but we like Marvin Jones as a contested catch number two <laughs> receiver, not as easily their best wide receiver. Like, it's just bad. I, they were moving LaVisca Chenault around a little bit more. I think that they they know that they're playing him out of position. They just don't have any other options. And that's why Swagney is kind of out there. And he's actually leading uh, this team in wide receiver usage up to wide receiver 29 over the last four weeks for Swagnew. Uh, Marvin Jones, wide receiver 50. LaVisca Chenault is down to wide receiver 56 over the last four weeks. So uh, the big thing is here, uh, you're playing Dan Arnold, tight end eight in usage over the last four weeks, 80% of the routes. Uh, but it's really just James Robinson. We're going to be waiting for the news on him. He hasn't practiced with a heel and knee injury. Maybe we have set the show up incorrectly where we specialize in like fringe roster talents and identifying which ones can be successful. But Jamal Agnew is like one of our poster boys this year. I mean, oh, that, swagman, uh, baby. let's go. Let's go. It's been a fun watch. It hasn't. Miami Dolphins, New York Jets, three and seven versus two and seven. Miami on the road against the Joe Flacco led Jets with the Dolphins as three point favorites. A few stats for you. Joe Flacco has lost 13 of his last 15 starts dating back to 2018. The Jets have allowed 175 points in their last four games. Compare that to the 2000 Ravens, the year Hayden was born. They only allowed 165 points in 16 games that season. Despite all of that, Miami is just three-point favorites. How? How? Their offense, man. The Dolphins' offense is just bad. Like it just, it, I think it really is as simple as that. Their offensive line, we already know, is really bad. They have been awful running the ball right now. They are 31st in rushing EPA. If you look at just Miles Gaskin's box scores recently, I mean, as rough as it gets. Now, I do think that Gaskin is a bounce back candidate because he is just positive regression candidate and this Jets defense has I mean just beyond brutal I think one of the worst game plans of any team any unit last week was the Jets so this is pressure on like Tua if you're healthy go out there and prove that you should be a franchise quarterback if he kind of stumbles here again the pressure is going to be really on and just like looking at the advanced numbers 26 in EPA per play uh on on passes for the Dolphins 31st like that's why they're only projected for the 15th most points of the week against the Jets. So I think it's fair to ask what is worse, Miami's offense or the Jets defense? Because the Jets, oh, defense, Jets defense. Yeah, Jets yeah. defense is so bad. So here's my point. Against the Ravens in a win, they throw for 290 yards. Against the Texans in a win, they throw for 215. The Falcons, 281. The Jaguars, 354. You know, I can keep going on and on. Against bad, bad, bad defenses... They can throw. They can throw the ball to Jalen Waddle 
they can throw the ball to Mike Gesicki because it's these very vanilla, simple concepts. So if you see, you know, Gesicki or Jalen Waddle in the pick and lobby this weekend, to me, I'm hitting the over because it's a very basic system that they're doing, you know, catch, throw, speed outs, RPOs, slants, all that stuff, but it can work against the Jets. Like that's going to work against the Jets. So to me, there's not going to be a lot of issues for Miami moving the ball. Famous last words here. I'm not saying like I want to watch this game at all, but just three with a Joe Flacco led Jets team is bananas when that defense is so, so, so bad over the last four games. I'm with you, but I, I think that the Dolphins offense kind of earned it, man. Like they had, what benefit of the doubt have they earned? Like seriously. Okay. Speaking of benefit of the doubt, somehow Joe Flacco, maybe it's the draft capital of a six that can turn into a fifth. Whatever. He's starting over the white guy. Makes no sense when Mike White is a restricted free agent on this team heading into next year. Sounds like Zach Wilson, quote unquote, is not 100%, still limited in practices over and over and over again. Whatever. I will never run an NFL organization. Personally, if you want to win games, and look, maybe Joe Fica goes out there and balls. Who knows? I do not understand just from a team building perspective when one of these players is going to be on your roster next year in Mike White, why you don't play him in this scenario. But unless you have like gone back and watched all of Joe Flacco's tape from when he's recently played Hayden, what is he going to mean for the likes of Michael Carter and Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, who Jamison Crowder, like all four of those pieces at points this season have popped up as, as fantasy starters for us. Yeah, so I think the reason why they went to Flacco is kind of twofold. One, they just traded for him. So if they're going to trade for him and then not start him, that makes him look like complete idiots. So they kind of like had to. They're like right, doubling down on that. Because the other moves have made them complete yeah, idiots. Yeah, of course, for sure. Um, the second part is you just talked about that Dolphins uh, defense that just, what, did cover zero on like 40 snaps last week. <laughs> like you're going to put Mike White out against that? Right. I think like that's what they're thinking is like at least Joe Flacco has seen this. Um, but for fantasy purposes... I think going to Flacco probably helps Corey Davis a little bit. He played on like 45 to 50 routes last week. He's the best option. Then Jameson Crowder, uh, Elijah Moore, just not playing enough to kind of use him. Um, and I do think that just, if you're looking at the chart on YouTube, it's so obvious that Mike white was just throwing check downs at a much higher rate. Like he never passed the ball, even beyond 15 yards downfield Flacco over the last two, three years, um, it's just, it's super boom bust. It's either a, a 10 yard throw or a 30 yard throw. And that's probably a little bit bad news for Michael Carter, but um, hopefully you don't have to watch the skin. Like it's, it's just as simple as that. Well, and earlier this season, you know, this team had been missing Byron Jones. They had been missing Xavier Howard. They've been missing like critical pieces because they were built through all the money and draft picks and everything through the secondary. And now they're back. So maybe this is like a second half. I'm not going to call it resurgence by the Dolphins defense, but maybe it is one that we have to take like a four-week sample versus, you know, a 10-week sample. of. Uh, not going to draft this team on Sunday morning, Hayden, but very curious how it plays out with Joe Flacco versus the white guy. Okay. A couple more games, and there are doozies in the 1 o'clock window. The 0-8-1 Detroit Lions go to the Cleveland Browns as 10-point favorites. Cleveland is 5-5. Five and five. We know that they just come off a butt-kicking from the New England Patriots. I'll open with just this one stat because it's the only one I brought to the table for this. Nick Chubb has averaged six yards per carry 
and 17 carries per game this season. Only five other players in NFL history have averaged six yards plus per carry and 15 plus carries in a season. So while it can be frustrating that Nick Chubb lands on the COVID list, that Nick Chubb doesn't get all the work because Kareem Hunt is involved. Kareem Hunt, excuse me, Nick Chubb is on pace right now for a historic season from that perspective. Yeah, we're about to get full Chubb this week. This is the week that we've been waiting for. And if you just look at the the or the Detroit Lions, I mean, you got to remember it's they're still missing Jeff Akuda, Romeo Guara, uh, Mel Fonwu, other pieces on the defense. This is like not only is a bad defense, it's an injured defense. The Browns obviously it's just gonna they should cruise here on the backs of Nick Chubb, who could finish as the number one running back, any format, whatever this week. I think we're gonna have a monster game from Chubb here. One note with that, he, John Kelly, and Demetric Felton all went on the COVID list at the exact same time. The only one that has been taken off that list so far is John Kelly. Now, we don't know any information that's going on in there, who passes what protocols when, but it is a bit weird to me right now as we sit here that all three didn't come off at the exact same time. But I am no expert in any of those rules. And just hopefully by Sunday, Nick Chubb is off the COVID list and is going to play in this game. The good news is if we don't have full Chubb, at least we're going to have full Johnson, which is like basically the same thing, you know? I mean, Detroit has allowed 136 rushing yards per game this season, third most in the NFL. Um, it also doesn't sound like we're going to get Jared Goff in this game. Nope. Full Jared is a bad experience. And uh, we've gotten that for way too long. Instead, this was, I mean, I got to start to cut you off here, but this stat absolutely blew my mind. It seems like they're going to go with Tim Boyle at quarterback and Roger Sherman on Twitter. He posted (laughs) Tim Boyle had 12 touchdowns to 26 interceptions in college college. And he's going to be starting here. I mean, this is going to be the toughest of scenes. Well, what I know most about Tim Boyle is that was good enough to keep Jordan love inactive for his entire rookie season on, on the green Bay Packers. And what we know with this from Field Yates, you and I and Field all have more total yards in the NFL than Tim Boyle does, who has negative one total yards in his career as an NFL player. These are the storylines you love to see in week 11. It is insane. And what's crazier about this is the Texans are projected for the same amount of points as the Lions this week. I mean, (laughs) goodness gracious. Uh, A couple things. Just to... Be serious here for a moment. Dan Campbell took over the play calling duties last week and we got 33 carries for DeAndre Swift. I'm not saying 33 carries are in order against a team that you are 10 point road dogs against uh, and against a very good Browns defensive line, but 20 touches, no matter what the game script is for DeAndre Swift, while Jamal Williams is still ailing, while Jamar Jefferson is still ailing as well, absolutely lines up. And Hayden, again, DeAndre Swift was great breaking tackles in the running game last week. That hasn't been his MO all season, but he's been absurd in the passing game. And that could be another part that we get here. As long as Tim Boyle does his job of being a checkdown artist like Jared Goff against prevent defenses in the fourth and third quarters. This should be a good one. <laughs> okay. One o'clock window. Let's close it out. We go from Detroit Lions to Houston Texans who actually have a win on their record. They are also 10.5-point road dogs against the Tennessee Titans, a total of 44.5. The Titans still, Hayden, still lead the AFC with an 8-2 and two record. No other AFC team has more than six wins. And the Titans 
have the easiest remaining strength of schedule when we factor in wins in the league. The Texans have scored fewer than 10 points in five games a season. What is one interesting thing that you want to talk about here? The Texans are my underdog of the week. Ready no for way. this one, Josh? So <laughs> the last time I had a crazy, I've done this once where I went out of control with the underdog of the week. That was when the Jets beat the Tennessee Titans. And here's the reason why I think I'm on the, the Texans here. Lots of injuries for Tennessee. They're actually second in most players on injured reserve with up to 15 of them. And then I look, we have uh, right guard Nate Davis didn't practice. Bud Dupree didn't practice. Their linebacker David Logan didn't practice. Jeremy McNichols hasn't practiced. We have other players uh, who were limited. We have Jack Rabbit Jenkins who didn't practice today. We have Jeffrey Simmons who didn't practice today. This is one of the most injured teams in the league. And then on the flip side, I'm not going to talk too crazy about the Texans offense, but their EPA is uh, up by plus 0.23 with Tyrod Taylor back. And they're much healthier. And I think that you can kind of get a sleepwalking Titans team who has been, I mean, really bad. Like the last two weeks, like no one's talking about this, but their offense has looked really bad. No Julio, their tight end Jeff Swaim is hurt. Their fullback is hurt. This team's just like looking for an identity and they have so many injured players that I think that it's just going to be A.J. Brown to the moon, especially if the Texans kind of keep this a little bit closer than what Vegas thinks. Yeah, to your point, the Titans are 4-1 and one in games with a negative yard differential this season. I mean, that's crazy. When they when they put fewer total yards in their opponents in a game, they're 4-1 and one this year. Um, to me, there's a few parts. One, when I looked at Tyrod, who was unbelievably bad last week, Hayden. he was awful. A lot of it was against disruption. Like, he panicked. And we know this Titans defensive line unit is probably the best part of their team at the moment. When healthy. Right? When healthy, yes. And A.J. Brown has gone berserker mode against the Texans in at least four games. I think he's played four games against them. He's averaged 111 receiving yards oh, yeah. in his career. And so while, yes, you were correct in an underdog pick of the Texans earlier this year, you tried to use that magic dust again, and I believe you tried to pick the lines against the Cincinnati Bengals there in, uh, in week six, and they end up losing 34-11. to 11. So yep. we're going to be in the hey, I'm six and, six and four on underdogs of the week, and sometimes you got to get a little bold. Otherwise, it'd be like, the Saints, they're, they're two-point underdogs. I'm going with them. Like, we've got to be bold every once in a while. Okay. Since they're 10.5-point favorites, we'll end on this question with the Titans. Sounds like Jerry McNichols has been in the injury report all week long, as you just pointed out. So between Adrian Pearson, who we have seen get the high value touches, or Deontay Foreman, who has gotten more work overall and technically got the start last week, if you had to pick between the two, which one are you playing here? My goodness. The problem is, is Adrian Peterson still getting all the goal line work, but I think that Deontay Foreman, he started, he played a couple more snaps, and I think that he would all of a sudden be the third down back as well. I mean, both of them, I mean, I would say the higher floor is Deontay Foreman. And then the higher ceiling is if you luck into two touchdowns from Adrian Peterson, um, hopefully you don't have to play either. They're probably both RB threes, nothing higher than that. Even if Jeremy McNichols is out slightly and quietly in on Deontay Foreman a little bit for the rest of the season, but we'll see how it plays out here this week. Four o'clock window time. We're so pretty now. We're beautiful. Seven and two Dallas Cowboys, 56 and a half total. Somehow are road underdogs against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, they are six and four, but 
what Dallas brings to the table. Let's first talk about the Chiefs offense, but I want to talk about it from a defensive perspective, at least setting you up here, the Cowboys. They've allowed just 180 yards passing per game since week six, Hayden. Second fewest in the NFL. Personally, I view Dallas as the better team here. The Chiefs, last week, we know that Gus Bradley very much was vanilla in his system. Patrick Mahomes was able to get the ball out quickly, efficiently, got rid of all that crazy pocket movement he's been showing out there, and he was very successful. But I think the Cowboys are a totally different matchup than what he faced last week. I think the problem with the Cowboys right now is defensively, they're missing Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. And they yep. still have Micah Parsons who can get after, but he's very much a boom-bust player. Same thing with Trayvon Diggs. He's had a great season, but he's very much boom-bust. And you just talked about Gus Bradley. It was the cover one, cover three stuff, and that's exactly the same mold that what Dallas runs. They're 25th in middle of the field open coverage. That's two high shells. And when they do go to two high shells, because every team in the NFL uses both, they're 21st in success rate. I think that even if Trayvon Diggs can make some big plays, the way he wins, I think, is troublesome for a player that's guarding a Tyreek Hill type. Someone that's really burner could make you uh, miss on a double move. So I think that the the Chiefs offense last week kind of showed how explosive they can be against this type of defense. And I think that they're fully back. And um, Travis Kelsey said it back when he said that he thinks that he has a swagger back. I think that this is going to be a a battle between both offenses and i'm not that concerned about the cowboys defense that has played above expectations but their two best defensive linemen are both out and then i think neville gelmore is also out in the interior as well so it's not i think the defense is probably a little bit overrated um just because of the injuries we also might be getting clyde edwards elair back you know andy reed has been somewhat honest saying it was a bit of a stretch for him to return and in, in week 10 turning a little bit more in the right direction in week 11. But as a whole for these running backs, Hayden, CEH has faced the lowest rate of eight-plus defenders in the box in the NFL, just at 4.6. Darrell Williams is at 7.37. That's two of the three lowest in the league. So again, defenses just do not care. Like they are asking the Chiefs to run, and they are putting more players out in coverage to stop where the Chiefs are best. Um, We've also seen, you know, the Chiefs use 13, 12 personnel, and defenses not honor that at all with the change of their defensive personnel or putting people in the box either. Like, they'll stay out there in those those two high looks. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not down overall in the Chiefs scoring points here. Obviously, I'm not going to be asking for this game to go under the 56.5 total. I just think from a top-to-bottom roster perspective and also from how they are winning games, for some reason, I still think Vegas and everyone else is holding – the Broncos loss against the Dallas Cowboys here. When you and I watched that game and we saw it in comparison last week, that was just missed throws. And like, that's it. You know, that that's not something that I think that is replicable each and every week. It was just Dak playing poorly. And so again, I want to reiterate, I think Dallas is the better team. And I think that they are so much more balanced. And no matter what Kansas city does defensively, that they are going to be able to solve that puzzle drive after drive after drive. Yeah, big news. Uh, Tyron Smith, he didn't play last week. He at least was limited to start the week. I bet that he plays in a very important game. And the Cowboys are averaging 0.06 more EPA per dropback with Tyron Smith, 0.19 EPA per carry with Tyron Smith out there. So that's a huge deal. And the Chiefs, uh, they could kind of play any type of defense. Um, but just because their linebacker play has been so bad that they're 25th in rushing EPA. So if the Cowboys 
want to run the ball that I think they certainly will be able to. Yep. And we talked about in the fantasy usage show in depth. If you want to go back and listen to that, the Cowboys didn't really change their offensive identity. It was still uh, a lot of uh, two tight ends on the field, even with Gallup back and uh, Blake Jarwin uh, on injured reserve. Yeah, it was about 51% in 11 personnel, 32% in, in 12 personnel. I mean, one figure stands out. The Chiefs love to blitz. I mean, they're the sixth highest blitz rate in the NFL, and Dak Prescott shreds the blitz. Oh, this yeah. Season. 16 passing touchdowns against blitzing defenses this year. And since we've talked so much about defense and an offensive-focused game with the spread, I'm going to bring this up again from our buddy Cleve T.A. There's a lot of run that the Chiefs defense is also improving over the last few weeks. Well, they faced a Giants offense with no wide receivers, Jordan Love-led you know, Packers offense, and then a Raiders offense that had that Deshaun Jackson fumble down the field that really yep. turned the tables for that entire game. Yeah, I mean, again, I absolutely love Dallas to the point that like Dak Prescott should absolutely be in the MVP conversation because they – are so balanced and they can win from multiple angles. And I'm with you. If the running game is working, Dak doesn't care. Like Dak's not going to try to go out there and throw 30 passes. They're going to put up 250 rushing yards if they want to against the Chiefs. And if that if that's working with Zeke, with Tony Pollard, with a combination of both of them, it's so much fun to watch the Cowboys at the moment. Just a complete team. I think that if you were leaning on the Cowboys here, I think that you should you're better off just betting on Dak to win MVP, get some Super Bowl tickets. I think like this could be the turning point where Right now, I think that the Cowboys are seventh in Super Bowl futures. When I did my top 10 list, I had the Cowboys up to fourth. I think if they win this game, you're not going to be able to get any of these long odds again. And I think that Dak Prescott has a path to the number one seed in the NFC. And while all these quarterbacks are kind of up and down, Dak Prescott's been pretty steady outside of that one game. But it was a game that we said it was just kind of a fluky game. It wasn't like he was doing too, too many things wrong, really. And if he wins MVP, he will not win comeback player of the year as well. And so there are only basically two other players that are in qualification for that at quarterback. And it's Joe Burrow and Carson Wentz. I believe Carson Wentz right now is plus 1400 to win that award. Just give it. I mean, please give it to comeback player of the year. We can't give it to to those guys. Come on. That's Dak. (laughs) Well, you can't do both. Like if he wins MVP, Dak does. Oh, someone else is going to get comeback player of the year. You know what I'm saying? They should. They should. Something about. Okay. Two more games in the four o'clock window. Eight and two Arizona Cardinals, two and a half point favorites on the road against the excruciatingly frustrating Seattle Seahawks. Yes, they're three and six. You know, you love my big picture zoom out questions. Hayden, it's not the beginning, but we're in like the middle of the end here, I think, with the Seattle Seahawks, the Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll relationship. I mean, Russell Wilson has lost two straight starts. Plenty of time between the two. But Wilson's 150 career starts he's had without losing three straight games in a season are the most by any player to start their career since at least 1950. Again, a third straight loss for Russell Wilson could be another stepping stone on the way to the end of the Russ Pete Carroll era in Seattle. He just played really bad last week and it probably rushed him back when he wasn't ready. Um, He probably needs to sleep a little bit more, I'll say. Um, but it wasn't for a lack of like trying downfield. He actually had a second highest a dot game of the year, all the way up to 11.6, but all those passers kind of fluttering in the air. Um, and you're going to get a, obviously in a very aggressive Cardinals defense, a defense that they, ha- I mean, obviously they've played Seattle a billion times. They know Russell Wilson's 
strengths and weaknesses. So I'm kind of with Vegas here with the Seahawks only projected for the 18th most points of the week. I don't fully trust Russell Wilson until I can kind of see. I mean, we're talking about a finger injury. Now, I know that playing in the cold in Green Bay probably was not helping that, but I don't know. I would like to kind of see it before I believe it with Russell Wilson, especially with the Vegas total so low. I still think that you should be starting uh, Tyra Lockett and DK Metcalf, but if you have another top 10, 12 fantasy quarterback, I think I would pick them over Russell Wilson until he proves it. There are some huge pick lines here for Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyra Lockett. Now, when you consider both of those talents, it might not sound big, but for DK, 72 and a half receiving yards. Tyra Lockett, 66 and a half receiving yards. To me, Hayden, based on how Russell Wilson played last week, where he doesn't have like that juice, that like special magic in those moments where it's like a confined or he drops his eyes or he like does the hokey pokey in the backfield. It just looks so much more sluggish, like a dad doing it now in comparison yeah. to what he used to look like five years ago. And that's where so many of those special plays came from. Meanwhile, it's an Arizona team. While it might lack superstars at every single level in terms of name brand players as a cohesive unit, they have played so well. And the reason why they got demolished last week was because of their offense. The yeah. offense was giving the ball away to the Panthers inside their own territory, the 25 at, at the 42. Now also offensively, you get Kyler Murray back. Finally get James Conner in this role and hopefully a positive game script, which is another storyline here that I think is flying under the radar because we got so hyped about it last week and it didn't work out. So two and a half. Really, really love the Cardinals by winning at least three points here. Yeah, it sounds like Kyler Murray's on track to play after getting in a couple of limited practices. I'm less optimistic about DeAndre Hopkins. He hasn't yes. practiced and he has a, the soft tissue injury that probably has a higher re-aggravation uh, risk than um, an ankle injury. And they have the bye week next week. So I, there's this possible, it's possibly true that Kyler's in and DeAndre Hopkins is out. And it's not a packaged deal. And if that does happen, we've seen it. Rondell Moore is still not getting that many snaps, even with DeAndre Hopkins out. It's basically just AJ Green and Christian Kirk. So um, we'll have to follow it up on Sunday morning. But as of now, I would say Kyler in, DeAndre Hopkins out. Yeah. You know those memes on Twitter that go for, you know, reaction and engagement that you see like PFF and the other places where it says like oh, yeah. hype here and talent there. Maybe I should make that talent column even lower. That's Jamal Adams. Oh yeah. That's Jamal yeah, Adams. I mean, he's been. a linebacker. He's a linebacker. Always. Um, yeah. This is an interesting one. Yeah. I, I, James Connor. We saw it when Chase Edmonds went down and I understand that like Seattle's really good against the run because again, their safety is best in the box and he can fly down the field. But also in the passing game, we saw it when Edmonds again went down immediately that I think James Conner is going to be a uh, a player that can hit top 15, top 10 running back status this week for sure. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised top five. 82% of the snaps last week. Love that. Let's close up the four o'clock window. The five and four Cincinnati Bengals, one point favorites on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders, also five and four. Total of 50 in this game. This doesn't do it for me. Like these are kind of two teams, you know, this from doing the show with me every single week. Uh, I don't get jazzed about either one of these. Um, I guess let's talk about the Bengals because I believe they're coming out of their buy. Uh, the post by rookie bump. I guess that'll make Jamar Chase superhuman, uh, turn him into a you know indestructible force. I still think we're learning about the Bengals offense in a way of like 
who they trust, how much they trust of their offensive line of the passing game. I guess the player that stands out to me the most that I love is Joe Mixon. Fair? Why why is that? I'm curious. I had a different opinion. Oh, um, because Chase has been so efficient as a vertical passer, vertical receiver, and to me, regression is still going to hit that a little bit more. T. Higgins is not winning his contested catches outside, and Joe Mixon is the player to me that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Vegas is great rushing the passer, worse against the run, and Joe Mixon we have seen be a fantastic talent and especially get you know 25 touches at times this season. Yeah, I mean, I always love Joe Mixon. Um, I, I do want to just always note that the Bengals' pass game has gone up when it comes to neutral pass rate. Now they're all the way up, tied for fourth, um, and they were like literally like dead last for a couple couple of those weeks. Um, I think the matchup is really good for both T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Talking about just what the Chiefs did against this cover one, cover three defense. If I'm looking at uh, against single high coverage. T. Higgins averaging 3.9 air yards per route run. That's really big. Jamar Chase at 3.2. Both of these players, it's kind of these one-on-one contested catches down the sideline. That's kind of where they're best at. And if you look at just fantasy usage over the last four weeks, Jamar Chase wide receiver three, T. Higgins wide receiver eight. I almost considered T. Higgins, if I want to get too crazy, as my Benji of the week. I think that this matchup is good for him. Um, and I just don't want to be trusting that this uh, Raiders secondary is very good on paper. It looks like that. I just don't believe in a lot of their, their talent out there. So I think it's a big mm-hmm. week for the Bengals passing game. And I think that we're kind of forgetting them uh, coming off to, after a buy, just how pass heavy they've been the last couple of weeks. Interesting. I mean, the difference in the pick'em line between Jamar Chase, 83 and a half receiving yards over under versus T Higgins, 60 and a half over under. That certainly makes you want to lead Higgins side even though obviously Chase has been the one who's been spectacular. I like both. Both? Interesting. Okay. Raiders end of this. What a mess. What a mess. Um, Darren Waller getting more involved. What else do you want to say, Hayden? I mean, there's I, I cannot believe this Raiders. I mean, I, I think it's going in the wrong direction for them for this season. Like so often early on, it's like, oh, man we underrated the Raiders heading into the year. And then this is kind of like part of the season where they show us who they are. Obviously there's been a lot of extenuating circumstances around the team this year that has also put us in this direction. Um, But they give me nothing to get excited about each and every week. And just from an entertainment perspective, I am not entertained. Yeah. The, the big difference the last couple of weeks for the Raiders is the vertical element, obviously, when you take Henry Ruggs out of the equation, this is what you're going to see. Uh, Derek Carr, basically that intermediate in that deep part of the field, he's just not throwing the ball there nearly as often. I think it's just because it's a talent issue. And we've seen uh, his dot drop about two, three yards in the last two games versus when with Henry Ruggs out there. And actually, that's kind of helped Hunter Renfro, who like, I mean, this is just nuts. But he's wide receiver 10 fantasy usage and half PPR and full PPR model it would even be higher. So I think that that Hunter Renfro has to be in your lineup as a, a top 30, top 36 fantasy receiver. And he's just been kind of balling. So it's not just Darren Waller. I think that it's actually Hunter Renfro and this uh, completely even matchup. I mean, 
right now the it's a one point spread, and I think that the Bengals and Raiders are pretty mediocre on both sides of the ball. And I think that this this point spread's pretty pretty truthful for, for for me at least. Now the thing about Renfro, and I'm with you. I mean, he's playing more. It feels like in two wide receiver sets, he's a hugely important player inside the ten yard line for them right now. But a lot of his passes still aren't of the high a dot variety. Like I'm looking at his recent lines, nine targets for 46 yards, a score, nine targets, 49 yards in a score, eight targets, 58 yards and a zero. So if he doesn't get you a touchdown, which again, he's a very key piece for them right now, just in terms of the value of the targets are so much less yep. than other players that are around him in the fantasy usage model. Is that fair? Yeah, but my model takes into account air yards. Like it's not like it's a blind spot. It, it, he's just very target driven, and it's hard yeah. for him to reach like a massive ceiling because you just don't rip off like eighty yard plays when your air air yards are like five yards downfield. But he's just been so reliable when it comes to targets over the last couple of weeks, and I think it's just because, simply put, he's just light years better than Deshaun Jackson, Brian Edwards, Zay Jones. These guys, like Hunter Renfro, to me is taking a step, and I think that he has looked the part, and now he's getting the fantasy usage. I think that you should just be starting him against a, B- a Bengals defense that we've learned uh, was just taking advantage of good matchups early on. We don't think that this Bengals defense is actually that good. Yeah. Okay. Prime time games. Let's go there, Hayden. And we start off on Sunday night football. Peacock, congratulations on keeping the Premier, Light, Re- Premier League rights. It's a good call. My Saturday mornings stay the same. Five, three, and one Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Chargers, five and a half point favorites, total of 47. Where to start in this game? Um, let's start on the Chargers end because the Pittsburgh Steelers are dealing with a whole bunch of issues defensively. Uh, TJ Watt got banged up. Minka Fitzpatrick is still on the COVID list. Uh, we talked at length about the differences in the Chargers throwing the ball down the field, what that means for Justin Herbert, what that means for Mike Williams, and not just the aggression throwing the ball down the field, Hayden, but also the aggression going for fourth downs. Because again, in wins this year, they're eight for 11, and they just have basically aborted those fourth down possibilities in other games. Uh, Again, five and a half point favorites, probably going against Mason Rudolph again. Should we get back on board? with a Chargers victory and offensive possibilities once again, or did they bite us too much last week? I mean, they're projected for the eighth most points this week. So like there's your baseline. That gets Justin Herbert in the quarterback one list. And I think that the injuries are a big deal. It's not just Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt. It's Joe Hayden. They have Stephon Tuitt injured. Some defensive tackles are banged up. It's just not a very healthy team for, for the Steelers on both sides of the ball. Chase Claypool was limited, but he's still iffy to play. Uh, it seems like Big Ben is very questionable, and we all know what that means for Mason Rudolph. So, I don't know. The Chargers are just simply way healthier. Um, even if Joey Bosa can't play and doesn't seem like he's going to play, I just think that at home, it's a good spot to get these guys back in the lineup. And fantasy usage-wise, uh, Keenan Allen's been balling wide receiver five. Mike Williams has been super slow. He's been really unproductive. He's the wide receiver 34 in fantasy over the last four weeks. So, I think that the team total is high enough. The Steelers defense is so banged up that I think this is just a play everybody week and hope that the Chargers have kind of figured out to be a little more aggressive. I think just with pass yeah. rates, uh, play action, Justin Herbert uh, sitting there and not checking the ball down, but actually ripping that shot 
over the middle. And if, if they can just do that a little bit, I think that we're going to forget about all those games in the middle part of the season. But um, I wouldn't, if you, if you got tired of Mike Williams, like I get it. I, I just will not be doing that. He's too good. This, this ceiling just way too high for him. Yeah. I've been trying to theorize it a little bit because even the last two weeks, I don't think the game plan was like that different between the two. Obviously 